0: I-N, as in Nancy, G-E-R. So recently, my wife and I got back from a short stay at a cabin in the woods. It was fun, but we didn't encounter any wendigos or skinwalkers or anything of the sort. Arguably, the scariest thing I saw while we were out there was a gray squirrel that was stealing some birdseed and challenging me for dominance at the sliding glass balcony door. God help us all if that door hadn't been closed. Anyway, here are some actually scary and allegedly true cabin-in-the-woods horror stories to give you nightmares for weeks on end. The first story today is a mind trip that will have you wondering if it really happened or if it was just the narrator's hallucination. Either way, the situation is creepy. So instead of a cabin for your next relaxing getaway, how about you buy a new bean bag and some cheesecake? If you want to hear your story on this show, share it with us at darkstories.org. I'm looking for allegedly true and believable scary stories, especially about being caught in the rain outdoors. Also, if you'd rather listen while you work, drive, or sleep, follow the Darkness Prevails podcast on Spotify and iTunes. And to help the show grow, leave us a review on iTunes too. Thank you. Links are in the description. Now, let's begin. My friend doesn't stay at cabins anymore. From Hollow Ghost. This is an email from one of my friends. We'll call her Abigail. I received this back after sending her an email asking if she wanted to go up to my family's cabin for a week this past summer. Here goes. James. I'm really sorry. I know I promised this year would be the one that I finally went with you to the cabin, You've told me again and again that it'll be safe. There are other people there, but I just don't feel up to it. Next year, maybe, if we're all together. We could go to my parents' place, even. Maybe go skiing. Colorado has some nice mountains. Who am I kidding? I guess if I'm going to blow you off for the third year in a row, you might as well know why. Do you remember four years ago? You probably don't, well, you ask me the same question, but my parents had already planned on going up to the cabin that year since my dad was finally off of work. Anyway, I went up there with them. It was good, fun, I guess. At least I got to spend time with them. I'm rambling again, sorry. The point is, I've not been honest with you, or with anyone for that matter. One night when my parents were all asleep, I went out into the woods on one of the trails. You know the system that runs back behind my parents' cabin, don't you? Well, I kind of got... lost. It wasn't the smartest move, but you know how my insomnia is. I just felt claustrophobic, cooped up in that cabin. Well, I was lost thoroughly. There was no signal up in Colorado where my parents' cabin was, so I had no idea what to do. I just kept walking down the trail. I guess I hoped that it was one of the routes that led down to the town, and not one of the ways to the backside of the mountain. I walked for half an hour at least, and I didn't get anywhere. Most of it was uphill, and the trail kept getting rockier. I think that's why I decided to turn around and take a different route when I reached one of the small ponds. You know, you can never be quite sure with those ponds. They all look the same. As I was turning around, I caught a glimpse of some light through the trees. A yellow kind of light, like you would see from a lamp. Not the glaring white ones that they line the water towers with, though I guess a water tower would have helped too. I walked over to it, thinking I could ask for some help, and as I entered the small clearing with the house, it was a small house with an oak wood frame, I saw the lights were on, and the door was open, but there wasn't anyone there, if you can believe it. I figured that whoever owned the cabin just went out into the forest for a minute. They would probably be back soon. I don't know why I decided to wait inside the cabin instead of outside. But can you blame me? It gets really cold at night in Colorado. I walked into the house. A rich person definitely owned it. It had all the bells and whistles. A nice stove, refrigerator, the biggest flat screen I'd ever seen. I sat down on the couch. I don't think I even waited two minutes before a young man walked back in. He was wearing casual clothes, a blue hoodie, if I remember correctly, and jeans. He looked surprised to see me there. I asked him if he knew the way back to town, or if he could at least help me get back to my parents' cabin. He ignored my question at first, the nerve, and said, Darling, you look cold. Let me get you a drink and a blanket first. Now, there was something seriously off about the dude. I can't quite place my finger on it, but it was something about the way he walked and moved his arms. It just looked jerky and weird. And his face looked fine, I guess, except it was too long and too smooth. And he would never look me in the eyes. He got back with the tea and a map, which I thought was the sweetest thing. He said he would be in the other room to get a blanket for me. And then he just, well, stood there, watching me. It was really creepy. I didn't trust the tea then. I was in the middle of the forest at some stranger's house, and a funky-looking stranger on top of that. I was seriously freaked out, and I began to think, he's not going to leave until I drink some tea, is he? So I planned on drinking it and then getting the heck out of there. I took one sip, and it tasted bitter as heck. But he was already walking away, seemingly satisfied. I don't remember much after that. But I do remember trying to stand and run. I don't even think I made it to the door before I collapsed. This part's where it gets weirder. I woke up in his cabin sometime later. It was dark inside, and I had to kind of fumble my way around until I found the coffee table. It was dark, pitch black, but I could still see a bit somehow. I really don't know how to describe this to you, but I think it was coming through the windows. The wall by the windows was just lighter than the rest of the room, but it was even darker outside than it was inside. I went up to the window and pressed my hand against the glass. The glass was hot, hot like the sidewalk during the summer. I thought I'd burned myself, but it didn't hurt, and it didn't even feel warm. It's hard to explain, but I could just tell it was hot. Then I heard someone scream behind me. It was this little girl... She looked like she was only eleven. I think that was when I realized that there was something seriously wrong here. There were eight of us in the cabin. It took the rest of them about an hour to wake up, and when they did, it was silent. Nobody wanted to talk. I think all of us, being strangers in an even stranger cabin, we were all just confused at first. I decided there was no use in just standing around, so I got up, and I told them I was going to do some exploring. It was definitely the same cabin, but something was off. Save for the living room and kitchen, all the other doors were missing. There weren't any lights, either. I was looking around in the kitchen drawers, I think. And another weird thing was there wasn't anything in them. That's when I heard the door slam open. I turned around, surprised, expecting to see the strange man come in. But it was one of the men I'd awakened with. He was just standing there in front of the open door. There was some kind of black goop behind it, but it appeared like it was swimming, almost, but it wasn't making waves. It looked like it was folding in on itself, and every time it did... I caught a glint of light. It was like a soft blue, but it wasn't any color I can describe. At least, not any color I've seen before. He just stood there, staring into the goop. He kept inching towards it like he wanted to jump in it, but something was holding him back. Joey, one of the girls, Michelle, I think her name was, said to him, What are you doing? The man didn't respond, he didn't even look at her, he just kept inching towards the door. Then the goop stretched, or more like it bulged, and part of it caught around the waist of the man. He looked at the girl for a second like he had broken out of a spell, he looked terrified, but the goop just yanked him into itself with a hiss, like water hitting a burning hot pan. The younger girl began to scream. Do you have any idea how awful an 11-year-old scream is? Anyway, I slammed the door shut and pulled the girl down onto the floor with the others. What was that? Michelle asked. Where did he go? I was dumbfounded. I think we all were. And terrified. We started discussing what we saw, how that man had been absorbed or dissolved into the goop. I kept glancing back at the door, expecting to see Joey burst through it at any moment. One of the girls pulled out her phone and tried to call the police, but again there was no signal. Another one of the girls got up and moved around, trying to find a landline. I stayed on the ground with the little girl and a few of the other people. There was something weird about Michelle... She hadn't looked at any of us once the entire time we'd been talking. She just kept staring out the window. Curious, I started to look too. I don't think the goop was actually moving, but it appeared to be pulsing or breathing. It was pressing up against the windows and then back, and up against the windows again. Michelle rose to her feet and started to the door, and somehow that broke me out of my trance. I caught her sleeve as she passed. I was confused about how she could even go over there after what had happened to the boy. "'Where are you going?' I asked. Then she hit me. I let her go then. All I could do was watch as she opened the door, and that mass stretched to take her too. We waited for hours. I don't remember how any of us were left at that point. It was alluring.' I felt drawn to it. I don't know why, but I had the urge to just stare at it, to let it swallow me up, too. I think we all felt it. At one point, I was holding the little girl, and I caught her staring out the window at the blackness. I didn't know what to do, so I tried to cover her eyes. She started to scream and kick at me, asking me why I wouldn't let her look. Somehow she got my hand in her mouth and bit down hard. I think I remember she drew blood, but it just kind of floated there in the air, like the videos of astronauts drinking orange juice on the International Space Station. She was already on her way to the door, running, and I ran after her. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't made it to her in time. I had her pinned against the wall, and she was kicking and screaming, and someone else, one of the others, just walked by and opened the door, and the goop took them. The little girl and I just stared in shock. It felt as if a wave of heat pushed against us, when the girl at the door sizzled out of existence, like someone had pointed a stream of hot air towards us. I dragged the little girl back into the center of the room, and we sat again waiting. I don't know what for, I just knew that doing anything else could kill any of us. Nothing happened for hours. I must have been in the cabin for days, though. I never got hungry or thirsty, and I never had to use the bathroom. We tried to play games to pass the time, but you can only play go fish so many times. The cabin had practically nothing in it now, Furniture, sure, but no books or games. The fridge was empty, and the TV was not on the wall anymore. I tried tying myself to the furniture with my shoelaces. I thought that if I did get the urge to go to the door, it would stop me. So I attached my hand to one leg of the couch. Everyone was in some sort of daze. We all moved around sluggishly, like we were walking in a pool or through molasses. It started getting harder to tell who was where, how long it had been, or what I'd been doing. I started to forget things, too, like what day it was, and why I was even there. James, I started to forget my own name. I was even more afraid when that began to happen. I just kept repeating my own name under my breath over and over again for hours, I must have looked like a lunatic. I think I was at that point. The other people were picked off one by one, all of them being absorbed into that goop, until there were only three of us left. By then, I was staring into the windows as well. It was beautiful, James, like heaven is supposed to look. Somehow, the black was colorful. I just wanted to stare at it, to become one with it. I nearly didn't notice when the last girl walked over to me and yanked the little girl from my arms. It was so sudden, I didn't even know what to do. I got up, and I tried to grab her arm, asking her what she was doing, but she pushed me back. I fell and hit my head on the side of the coffee table, and that's the last I remember. When I woke up, it was daytime. I remember I was still tied to the couch, and the door was wide open, like it had been when I first entered that place. But now, I was the only person inside. All seven of the others were gone, as if they had vanished into thin air. I untied myself from the couch, and I began to make my way over to the door, when I saw something. James, You're not going to believe me when I say this, but there were deep impressions on the floor behind the couch. That girl, the last one, she had tried to drag me and the couch into the door with her, and that poor little girl. I didn't know what else to do, so I ran. I ran as fast as I could, all the way back to my family's cabin. I didn't come out of the cabin for the rest of the trip, and I haven't been back since. Now I hope you understand why I won't go with you. Again, I'm really sorry, but I just can't. I hope that you'll be safe too. Have fun, and James, don't go getting lost, especially at night. Cabin Creature From The Hedera So this happened not too long ago, just about a year ago, I think. My two sisters and I never knew this would happen to us. Back around November 2nd, 2019, my sisters and I, let's call them Grace and Sharon, were sitting in our rooms playing an online game. We were at our parents' house, and they treated us like queens, so we liked staying there. Grace's parents heard Sharon's screams of anger and excitement, and so, just like any young child who has spent almost half the day on their cell phones, they told us to go outside, as it was a wonderful day out, and all that stuff. Sharon was the first to get up and frown. We didn't want them yelling at us again, so we slowly went outside and just stood there. Quit acting like a five-year-old, Grace said to Sharon who was just sitting there in the backyard stairs. "'I'm not acting like a five-year-old,' Sharon replied. "'Right then, as I didn't want them to fight or argue, I asked them if they wanted to go to the woods for a while. "'Luckily, both Sharon and Grace wanted to come along. "'But before we left, I told the adults "'that we were going off into the woods for a while. "'They said that was fine. "'So off we went.' we started to chat about different animals. Grace was obsessed with dinosaurs, and all the while she kept on blabbering on how cool they were and how she wished they still existed today. We were walking along when Grace then changed the subject to something else. You guys know about that cabin in the woods? She asked. Sounds pretty cliche to me, I answered. No, there really is one around here in these woods. Grace retorted. I'll show you. Just follow me. Sharon and I both followed her to a path through the woods. There were lots of low-hanging branches and leaves scattered all over the forest floor, sticks in random places and all that. We kept hitting our heads on branches too, but we laughed it off. Soon Grace stopped and looked at us. She had this wide smile filled with excitement as she pointed up to the hill that was not too far from where we stood. On that hill was a cabin. It wasn't your typical horror movie cabin all creepy and worn out, but it was a new one. As if it had been recently built. So, we're going inside someone's cabin without permission, huh? I see where this is going. Sharon said with a hint of suspicion in her voice. I agreed with her. The place did look like someone's residence. No, Grace retorted. I've been there. No one lives there. I promise it's safe. It's safe, I say. When people say something safe, it's never safe. Are you coming or not? Grace shouts. She was already halfway up the small grassy hill. Sharon looked at me and I looked back at her. With a bit of hesitation, we followed after Grace. By the time we reached the top of the hill, Grace was already on the doorstep. The first thing we all noticed was that the cabin had no front door. The lights were on, though. I'm not sure how we didn't notice that when we were first down the hill. And the place was quiet, unnaturally quiet. Grace went inside and Sharon followed, with me behind. The smell of cut grass soon hit my nose with the force of a semi-truck. Why does it smell like that? I asked. Took the words right out of my mouth. Sharon agreed. Immediately we heard footsteps. Not a person, but more like an animal walking on all fours. I froze. Guys, we need to leave. Someone's animal is in here. Grace nodded slightly but apparently she didn't agree with my idea. Instead, she began to explore around the cabin, as if she was looking for something. Run! Sharon suddenly shouted and took off out of the cabin. Grace and I then turned around, only to see a massive... animal of some kind, standing just inches away from the staircase. It was white, impossibly skinny, so skinny in fact that it was almost bone it had these black sunken in eyes it was about eight feet tall and stood like a person and it stared at us what is that i whispered into grace's ear grace didn't answer and i understood why she we were so terrified by this creature This white thing then decided to crawl back up the stairs, now seemingly uninterested in us. The way it crawled was more like a spider. Before finally vanishing in the darkness upstairs, it took one last emotionless glance back at us. It stared for only a few seconds, then leapt the last four stairs up. Grace grabbed me by the arm and took me outside sharon was there waiting for us mouth agape staring at the cabin there was no need for us to speak we fled away from the cabin down the hill through the woods and finally made it back into the backyard where the adults stared at us with suspicious eyes we made it out alive but confused and traumatized Dragon on Vacation From Yolo YoloFishy23 At the time of writing this, I'm seventeen. I have two younger siblings, a brother Josh and a sister Krista, who are both fourteen. My mother is a very kind woman, always helping other members of my family when they need it. My father passed away when I was ten. He always had a way of making any situation a good one. Finally, there's Uncle Jesse, my mom's brother. He was living with us at the time because he had lost his arm a year before. This story may sound crazy, but I swear on my life this happened. I even have a scar as a reminder, but I'll explain that along with the story. This happened to me and my family when we were on vacation in the UK. We had been driving to a small town in the UK countryside, The drive was about five hours. There were five of us in the car myself, my two younger siblings, Mom, and Uncle Jesse. My siblings, Josh and Krista, were both asleep at the time. My mom was driving while my uncle and myself were talking about what plans we had when we arrived. We had rented a cottage by a lake for two weeks. Eventually, we arrived at the cottage. My mother stepped out of the vehicle and went to wake up Josh and Krista, while Uncle Jesse went to unlock the door. Mom, I'm going to go take a walk, okay? I said, climbing out of the car. My mom responded with, Okay, just don't wander off too far. The cottage was laid out like this. At the front was a deep forest that stretched around until it reached the back of the cottage, Then it opened up to reveal a beautiful lake. If you stood on the shore, you could see other cottages around the lake. I started walking about twenty meters or so into the forest. It didn't take long for me to spot something strange. Claw marks on some of the trees. They looked like they could have been from a bear, except they were about as long as my entire arm, and they wrapped around the whole trunk of the tree, like something had used the tree to pull itself upwards. Then I felt it, a feeling I'll never forget, the feeling that I should run and run fast. I kept walking, and as I did, the feeling kept getting worse and worse until I was about 30 meters in. By then, I could not take it anymore, so I ran back out. When I'd gotten back to the cottage, my family had already brought our bags in. The rest of the day went without any problems. We all went to bed, but I soon discovered that, that night, it would be one night that I wish had never happened. The cottage had two bedrooms. My siblings and I were all sleeping in one, my mom in the other, and my uncle Jesse was sleeping on the couch. It was around 3 a.m. and I was lying in bed, unable to fall asleep. Suddenly I got up because I saw Uncle Jesse leaving the cottage. I got up and ran after him. I caught up to him about halfway to the beach. He told me he was going to sit by the water for a bit. So I joined him. We were sitting by the water together for about half an hour before we decided to head back in. The distance from the shore to the back door was about 150 meters. We had walked about 50 meters when the feeling from before returned stronger than ever. I was guessing Uncle Jesse felt it too, because he told me to speed it up. This is the hardest part for me to tell. When we were about 25 meters from the door, Uncle Jesse broke out into a full-blown sprint Before I could follow suit, I felt a sharp pain in my back, and something pushed me into the ground. I began to hear a rumbling growl. Suddenly, there was a pressure on my back, as if something was standing on top of me. I heard screaming coming from the cabin. I raised my head to see my mother, my siblings, and my uncle, all standing there with their faces locked in looks of fear and they were white as snow. I could feel it. Whatever was causing the pressure in my back, it had a scaly texture to it. Then the weight was lifted off of me. I was not able to move until my mom ran over and helped me up. I turned my head to see this massive creature hidden among the tall trees, The only clear part I could see were its large, yellow, lizard-like eyes. Together, my mom and I ran inside. We completely locked the place down, and we didn't leave the cottage for the rest of our vacation. That creature left a scar on my back. I assume it tore into me with its claws. Thanks for listening to my experience. I know how crazy it sounds, but I swear it happened. Please, if you ever enter the UK countryside, be careful. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself Things are different, the mist of the rain, the blanket of darkness from the clouds, it's a world much like our own, but it is shrouded in uncertainty, dreariness, and fear. And just as all facets of life have adapted to be active at certain times of day, so do certain terrors become active when the rain begins to fall. Be it lonesome spirits or rapacious creatures, the rain is not the only reason to stay indoors during a downpour. Enjoy these allegedly true scary stories about things encountered in the rain. A Fear of the Rain From Corey E. I wasn't always afraid of the rain. Something happened when I was a child, To make me dread it, whenever the droplets began to come down. The story begins when I was around seven. My family had recently moved to a new county, where both my parents would have better jobs. Our new home, while quaint, was about a twenty minute drive from the school. After a few months of attending my new school, I met a friend, whose name isn't important. What is important is that he invited me to spend the night at his house. My parents were easygoing, so they immediately said yes when I asked if I could spend the night with him on Friday. When the time came around, we both walked to his house, which was even closer to our school. What I didn't know at the time was that he didn't ask permission from his parents for me to go to his house, and the closer we walked towards his house, the more paranoid he got until he wouldn't let me inside he apologized over and over saying that he thought it would be a good idea just to have me come over as he was afraid that his parents would say no if he just asked he thought that if he just brought me over instead unannounced they would have no choice but to say yes but now he was terrified that he would get in a lot of trouble and he changed his mind we were at the door and he got inside first closing it on me He had opened it just a crack to explain this to me. He was crying, telling me that he was very, very sorry. But I needed to go home before his parents got home. Just some silly kid controversy. That guy was my best friend at the time. So seven-year-old me, though sad, knew that I had to walk home now. Because A, I didn't have a phone to call my parents at the time and B, if I stayed any longer, even to use my friend's phone, his parents might show up, and I did not want him to get in trouble. I had no other choice but to walk home myself. The problem with that was that it was about to rain. The skies were cloudy and dark now, despite it being about 3.45 in the afternoon. Choking back tears at my disappointment and feelings of betrayal, I began my walk home, Now, in my child mind, I thought I would be able to walk home really quick. All I knew was that the drive to school was always fast, so the walk home would be no different. I was dead wrong. After walking for a straight hour, and not even being halfway there, the rain started to come down, and I was scared, homesick, unfamiliar with my surroundings. I panicked and looked around. And soon noticed the edge of a forest nearby and then the memories came flooding back I was pretty sure then that those were the woods my cousin and I played in last year we had roamed around in them and pretended to be Jedi from Star Wars for hours until making it to the other side which was here right by the road I was walking on I was sure of it not sure if my face was covered in tears or rain or both I wiped my eyes dry, and I began to approach the forest. To my relief, things did look familiar. There was that tree with a knot that looked like a face. That ages-old and decaying tree stump we found that had a snail on it. Yeah, if I kept walking, I thought to myself, I'd be in my own backyard. Once again, my underdeveloped brain didn't realize how far out the woods were and that it wasn't a shortcut at all, it would actually take me much longer to make it home through these woods. But I'm sure even if I knew that at the time, I wouldn't care. I'd rather walk a familiar, longer road than a shorter, unfamiliar one. I walked and walked and walked, the rain coming down more and more and the sky growing darker by the second. I have no idea how long I'd been in there, when the skies began to dim even further, signaling that the sun was going down. Had it really been several hours? The tears were rushing back. I knew I was going the right way. But why wasn't I seeing my backyard yet? The porch light, the window into the kitchen. Both of these things were always visible from a distance. And yet everything was getting darker. Tired and scared... I found some shelter under a tree. I sat there atop some damp leaves. I rested my backpack on my head in a desperate attempt to shelter myself from the rain that got through the leaves above me. After all, it was early autumn, so half the leaves were on the ground, while half of them remained on their branches. I just wanted to rest my legs for a while. Then I would keep walking. I would make it home soon, I reminded myself. But before long, I fell asleep. When I came to, I felt a tickle on my nose. I opened my eyes and saw nothing but blackness. Reflexively, I swatted out my nose, thinking there was a bug on it. I realized it was dark out still, but not pitch black, and there was no bug on my nose. What was touching me and covering my eyes was long black. There, there, it's It's all going going to be okay. A strange, phantasmic voice echoed behind me, just behind me. My eyelids shot straight open. I stopped blinking for a while. I stopped breathing for the next few seconds. Realization after realization came to me. There was hair in front of my face that wasn't mine. Two arms embraced me around my waist from behind, skin pale. There was someone sitting right behind me, between the tree and myself. Don't you love the ring? It's so beautiful. She whispered again, right into my ear, goosebumps appearing all over my body. I could feel it, not to mention... This person sitting behind me now. She was freezing cold, colder than the raindrops that fell on us. I'd never been more scared. I remember at one point I screamed and nothing came out of my mouth, not a sound. As if I had pushed my body so hard that my voice box just broke or failed on me. I sat there petrified, afraid to move or react because I could see her fingers. Mounds of dirt lay underneath her fingernails, which were shredded and torn. There were cuts and bruises all over her fingers and hands. Dirt all over her skin. It looked like she had crawled over the ground with only her hands. In a rainstorm, no less. We can stay here forever, you and I. No more alone. Suddenly... Her hands began to move up my body until they were covering my face on both sides. She began to squeeze my face, digging her dirty nails into my skin until it hurt. It burned like nothing I'd ever felt before. Just as I was about to scream again and probably fail doing so once more, I heard a voice calling out for me, a different voice. Corey! was my dad. The moment his voice reverberated through the forest, the long black hair suddenly shot upwards and the nails sliced upwards across my face. I heard whoever or whatever had been behind me suddenly scurry upward at an impossible speed. I looked up just in time to see her black long hair and pale nearly white skin. Fade into the branches above. She hid herself and disappeared into the sparse leaves. I sat there alone, waiting for my parents and apparently a search party they'd gathered. I just couldn't take my eyes off of the branches, waiting to see movement, waiting to see flashes of pale skin or long black hair. I was soon discovered and taken home given hot chocolate and a heated blanket, as well as a big, late dinner. Lacking emotion, I devoured my food, my mother and father barraging me with the same question over and over. How did I get those cuts on my face? Eventually, I would reply, letting them know about the lady in the forest, the woman in the tree. But they were having none of it. Before long, they came to their own conclusion. That despite the marks looking like claws or nails raking across my face, I must have cut myself on some thorns. And that's my story. These days, whenever it rains, I can't help but think about that day. The day that I thought would be fun, spending time with my then best friend. The day I felt abandoned and alone in the rain, when something else came to find me. My Rainy Playdate From Shower Songs I had a rough childhood, and consequently I've buried most of my memories from back then. There is one memory I've never forgotten, one that not only shaped the man I've become, but also forged my perception of life and the universe itself. I was 11 years old, The age when you can't walk a mile down the road, but you're perfectly fit to babysit your little brother all day. That was precisely the case for me. My mother was single and received no child support, as she didn't know which junkie my father was. This was also true for my brother Tommy, who was only two at the time. We rented a rather old house in town for cheap, Mom had just landed a new job at a nursing home as a nurse aide. I was switched to homeschool so I could take care of Tommy all day while she was at work. Before she got the job, she used to take me and Tommy to the riverfront park every day. But we hadn't been back to the park since she was hired. Every time she got the day off, it rained and since the park was located in a flood zone, That eliminated all chances of us going. I begged her to let me walk the quick mile there on my own, but that was out of the question to her. I started to fantasize about going to the park while she was at work, and after a few days I mustered up the courage to actually do it. I set my alarm clock to wake me up 20 minutes after she'd left, so I could be back before even Tommy woke up. I didn't like the idea of him being hungry because I wanted to swing. I laid out my outfit the night before. It consisted of a hat and sunglasses, in case someone we knew drove by. I quickly got ready, then put my pillows under my blanket, in case Mom came back for something. I made sure Tommy was sleeping, then made my way to the kitchen. I grabbed a water and a pack of Pop-Tarts. Ready to be a free man, I turned the deadbolt, then the knob, and I started my journey. Around the halfway point, the Pop-Tarts were long gone, but despite the empty bottle, the water was here to stay. The sky began to pour rain from its darkened clouds. Afraid of getting too muddy and then busted, I turned around and headed back home. I mounted the creaky porch and turned the doorknob. Except it didn't turn. I nearly smacked myself. I had unlocked the deadbolt, but not the knob. I didn't even bother checking the windows. My mom's more paranoid than me. I sat on the porch for some time, trying to figure out what I should do. Finally, I decided, screw it. I'm going anyway. By the time I made it to the park, the river was already rising, and I was soaked. The way my clothes stuck to my skin made me feel like a pirate. Suddenly, the stick on the ground became my cutlass, and the playground equipment morphed into pirate ships, firing cannonballs at each other. I swam through the wood chips, boarding each ship, and killing everyone on board. My final showdown was with the SS Gladiator's hook-handed captain, He got a slash on my arm and then my leg. I was forced to dive down the slide and plummet into the ocean. When I hit the wood chips, there was a big splash, followed by three smaller splashes coming from underneath the slide set. That brought me back to reality. My sword was once more a flimsy stick, and I was no longer Charson, the pirate slayer. I was just an 11-year-old boy in the rain. For the first time since i had gotten there, I noticed how cold the rain was, and how high the river had gotten. I scurried to my feet, and hesitantly looked under the slide. There was nothing aside from wet wood chips. I took a moment to calm down. I was more than ready to go home, but I felt as if I owed it to Charson to finish his battle, while I had the rain. I got back into the zone, and swam underneath the ship to the other side. I stuck my cutlass deep into the hole, using it to climb up the side, feeling like Django Fett in his fight against Obi-Wan. When I got to the top, something else shook me back into reality. I was met with a blue-lipped boy. His darkened veins showed through his greenish-black skin, and he was holding a stick, just like mine. I screamed loud enough to shatter glass as I jumped backward in terror. I crashed into the wood chips before rolling over and sprinting through the puddled ground as fast as I could, feeling water pelt my jacket with every stride. I didn't look back until I was beside the road. When I did, I could still see the boy standing atop the slide set. He was waving at me, and somehow I found the energy to sprint even harder. My mom returned to find her son petrified, muddy, and wet, curled up on the porch, Tommy's hungry cries blaring through the old walls. She gave me the worst spanking I've ever had, but I didn't get grounded. When I told her what happened, she looked as if she'd seen a ghost. She told me when she was a little girl, a boy she went to school with, was playing in that same park during a flood, and was taken by the current. la llorona from mike v this happened when i was living in mexico i was 14 years old and it was the rainy season one day i was hanging out with my cousins one of them told us that the night before he had heard la llorona and the rest of us began laughing because as much as we were into the paranormal We never expected one of the popular legends to happen to us. So he told me that if I wanted to sleep over that night, as it was supposed to rain again, and a river forms up by his house, that's when she appears, so I could see her myself. Well, I was curious, so I said yes. Later on that night, we were watching TV. It was me, my two cousins, my aunt and uncle. But my aunt and uncle had already gone to sleep. It was three in the morning when my cousin started hiding under his blanket. I asked him what he was doing. He began to explain to us that it was about to start. I asked what he was talking about. He said that it started last night. The dogs were going to bark, and as soon as he said that, the dogs did begin to bark. He then said the cats would start fighting too. And once more, the cats began to fight each other. And if that wasn't enough, he said that the chickens and cows were going to go crazy. And at that moment, we heard them making a ruckus outside. While he was saying all that, I was beginning to feel scared. He was clenching onto the blanket even harder to the point that his hands were shaking. Then he said that all the animals were going to stop making noise at the same time. And as soon as he finished that sentence... All of it stopped. Not a single cricket was making noise anymore. The night was dead silent. At that moment, my cousin said, She's coming. She's coming. In my fear, I asked him who was coming, as if I didn't already know who he was talking about. I just... I didn't want to believe it. And then we heard it a whale in the distance. I was asking my cousins to go peek at the window to see if they could see her, but the one under the blanket would not move. So his brother and I began walking towards the door to open a window. We heard the crying going up and down the street about three times, so I told my cousin, as soon as the cries start to sound more distant, we should open the window then. I was building up the courage when my cousin began to scream. He went to hide next to his brother. This scream shook me, so I did the same thing. The following day, we told our uncles and grandma what happened. They took it as a joke, but my grandma in a serious voice told us that her wails are the exact opposite of what they sound. You see, she said, When it comes to La Yorona, when you hear her cries close, she's actually far. But when you hear her far, she's very close. She said it was good that we didn't look out the window, because one of us may have been taken. My experience with a wendigo and something else From Brian M. Just as a heads up, this story does contain graphic descriptions of my dog who sadly perished during the incident. I live in a small rural town in Pennsylvania. My house is located deep within the woods, and my nearest neighbor is roughly 4-5 to miles from me. Let me start off by saying I love the forest. I love nature itself, and as a child, my grandma would always tell me that the woods would protect me, Yeah, I know, sounds kind of odd, but I did believe her a bit. I'll tell you why later on in the story. She was also Native American. She believed in lots of supernatural stuff. To get things started, the woods near my house had a trail which led from my backyard into a dense part of the forest. Most days I would bring along my dog Zero, a black pit bull who was nothing but loving towards anyone he met especially me. I did so often that it became a part of my daily schedule. I would go out around 4 to 7 p.m. I'd bring my dog and sit on this big but flat rock that was located near the end of the trail. Usually I would smoke and think about life and play with Zero. I should have mentioned this first, but every time I'd walk in, I would feel as if someone or something was watching me from afar and Zero would sometimes look into the wilderness, as if he caught sight of something. I can assure you I got the sense that I was being watched over, dare I even say protected at times. Even when I got that feeling the forest was alive, it felt as if everything there was residing peacefully. I would sometimes ask my father what kind of animals he thought resided in our part of the woods. He just mentioned the basic things, like deer, squirrels, Your occasional bear or two. But nothing I should be highly afraid of. He also reminded me that Zero was with me. He'd protect me. So every day I'd walk in those woods, joyful and full of peace. Not a single drop of worriedness. But then, it happened. This incident took place three years ago in the month of February. I got out of work and I was eager to smoke and relax in the forest for a bit by the time i got home the sun was already setting but i decided to still go out as it wouldn't be the first time i went out after dusk i got my smoke my dog and a pocket knife which i only used to carve things into trees and such i also brought a flashlight by the time i got out of my house the moon was out and there was a graceful breeze in the air i turned on my flashlight and started on my small journey after a few steps I suddenly heard my dad call out my name. I turned back, thinking he just got home, but soon I realized his car wasn't there. I was a bit confused, but I shrugged it off on me being exhausted from work. As I was walking towards the flat rock, Zero seemed to be a little bit wary. He kept looking around with his ears straight up. I didn't think too much about it, I kept calling him over so he would be closer to me, and he listened. At some point during the walk, I did realize that I wasn't getting the feeling that I was being watched as I usually did, and the woods were awfully quiet. The sound of my boots hitting the ground and your occasional twig snapping were the only sounds that occupied the night. I finally made it to my spot. I sat down and started smoking. Roughly 30 minutes passed and I'm petting Zero, who was acting kind of strange, still. I realized Zero was focused on a singular portion of the area. The area was surrounded by trees and a cluster of bushes in the bottom. I pointed my flashlight to that area, thinking that I'd see a deer or some wild animal, but I saw nothing. I turned my head so I could use my free hand to pet Zero. And as soon as I turned my head, a feeling rushed over me. Something I've never felt during my time in the woods. It was a feeling of pure fear. Then, I hear it. Brian, where are you? It sounded just like my dad. But something was wrong. It was unnatural. As if someone recorded his voice and started playing it. I turned my head, and in that moment the hairs on the back of my neck started standing up. Slightly apparent by the tree in front of me, I could see half a body, roughly seven to eight feet tall, and a head which looked like a deer, but the skin was, well, falling off, revealing a skeletal snout. The antlers were all deformed and unnatural-looking, and it had sharp teeth all equal in size filling its mouth one arm was gripping onto the tree and it was so long it looked like it could well easily pass its knees with hands that showed long sharp claws and eyes that were yellow and reflecting the light from my flashlight at the same time its sharp gaze pierced my soul then it spoke to me something that will haunt me for the rest of my years there you are. I was going to book it until Zero went crazy and lunged headfirst towards the creature. The creature moved back behind the tree away from sight, and Zero headed right for it. I stood in shock. I couldn't believe my dog ran right towards it. Barking and scuffling soon filled the air. Then a slight thud, and pure silence filled it afterwards. I knew it then, that my dog had been killed. Tears ran down my face, and utter fear filled my body. I was frozen, I couldn't run. Then, from out of the bushes, Zero had come back, but instead of running to me, it appeared as if that creature had slid him towards me, and what I saw scarred me. My Zero was there, lifeless, a gash on the side of his body. I panned my flashlight back towards the tree, and once again with its arm across the tree, it stood there looking at me. I could have swore it smiled. Then, it made this awkward movement, as if it was about to lunge right at me. Then something happened that will make me question my sanity, my existence, everything. A loud howl-like sound manifested from behind me. It was like a hundred wolf howls at once. I told myself, no, please, don't tell me there's another one of those things out here. I heard a twig break in front of me. I turned right back to that tree to see the creature starting to walk away. It just simply vanished into the dark. After that, I passed out. What I remember next is my dad crying his eyes out and shaking me. When I finally gained proper awareness, he grabbed me and hugged me. When I realized what happened the night before, I started to shake, and my anxiety was in overdrive. To make matters worse, I can still see Zero's body on the floor. I looked around and saw no tracks on the ground to see if what I saw yesterday was indeed something not known to man but as it was raining, it had washed away any tracks that were made. Fast forward later that day, I'm in my living room, Zero's body covered in a blanket, and my dad was asking me what happened. He had the police coming over. He kept checking if I had any wounds on me, and I told him again and again that I was fine, but I was still tearing up. I was more concerned about my dead dog than me. I lied to the cops, telling them a random hungry bear came and Zero gave his life for me, and that the bear must have run off injured or something. Fast forward to December. I had buried Zero near the flat rock with my dad, and we moved to the city. We had a get-together with my family. I was beginning to move on from what happened, but I still get these nightmares about the creature and it always ends with that howl waking me up. When I talked to my grandma again, I decided to tell her over anyone else. She hugged me and believed me as I teared up. She also mentioned that the creature I saw was likely a wendigo. I had no idea what it was, but the description she gave me resembled the exact same thing I saw that night. A vile creature that looks like a decomposed deer with falling flesh, sharp teeth, and claws that has the ability to mimic people's voices in order to lure a victim into a painful demise. But the moment I mentioned that there could have been two of them because of the howl I heard, she looked at me dead in the eyes and said, that wasn't the windigo. that was the woods protecting you. What she said will stick with me for the rest of all time. I did some thinking to see if I could possibly identify my mysterious protector, because I know there was something else in those woods. It couldn't have been the woods itself. Something much more intimidating made that wendigo back away from me. Then I realized all those times I felt as if something was watching over me, protecting me. It was all real, and my mind was only able to come up with one word, one thing that could intimidate a creature like that. Something akin to, or straight from, Native American culture. Something that could have howled like that. Maybe it was a werewolf.